Hey, it's Mark and Jackie from Bad Hops. When we made the episode you're about to hear back in February of 2022, we took a cautiously optimistic view towards the progress that women were making in baseball, especially about how fast those changes would happen. It's so great to be wrong. Since we recorded, we've seen Alyssa Nockin become the first woman to coach on the field in an MLB game, and Kelsey Whitmore become the first woman to start a game for an MLB partner league team. In a time where women are continuing to face challenges to equality and equity, these women, along with the women you'll hear about in a few minutes, represent amazing breakthroughs. Alyssa and Kelsey, we can't wait to showcase your achievements soon. Oh, and Derek Jeter is no longer a co-owner of the Miami Marlins. Maybe that's not a breakthrough, but that's the end of this episode's fact-checking. Let's get this episode up to bat. This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the fielding stats of Dottie Schroeder or want to know Tony Stone's average against Satchel Paige, this is not the place, but you're getting warmer. If you're looking for the latest and long overdue changes in the game, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today we are talking about women in baseball and the recent burst of progress in the game. Welcome to Bad Hops. Wow, thanks, Jackie. I congratulations on being the woman in baseball for this podcast where I am just the guy that shows up and blathers occasionally. That's right. Here here to break through all those glass ceilings and then have trolls attack me while I'm on social media. So yes, very much looking forward to this. Yes. <laughs> Hello, bots. How are you? Exactly. If we're going to stir some stuff up, like when sometimes a team will take a printout from their opponent, put it up on the, the bulletin board in the locker room. And so we're talking mostly about the modern day era of baseball. And as you know, that really pains me. Uh, I do. Because, because I like to talk about the old stuff. So I'm going to get a little burst in here, but we're going to put this up on the on the, the bulletin board in the locker room. Oh. And we're going to play angry through this okay. whole episode. Well, you know me. I like being angry, so... So our, our good pal, A.G. Spalding, you might know him from such balls as baseballs, volleyballs, racquetballs, and the ball that you're holding up on this audio-only podcast. That's right, except this is this is Rowling's. <laughs> ah. But not J.K. No. Yes, just kidding. Just kidding. A.G. <laughs> Spalding, or as his full name, which I just found this out today, Albert Goodwill Spalding. Oh, yeah, I did not that. who seems to be full of nothing but bad will. We'll print this out. We'll put this on the bulletin board, and then we're going to get our, our our dukes up for this. Because in 1912, Albert Goodwill Spalding wrote this: "Neither our wives, our sisters, our daughters, our sweethearts may play baseball on the field. They may play basketball and achieve laurels. They may play golf and receive trophies." But baseball is too strenuous for womankind, except as she may take part in grandstands with applause for the brilliant play, with waving kerchief to the hero of the three-bagger. And to that, I say, get bent, A.G. Spaulding. Although I will say there is nothing quite like a waving kerchief. We should start the, We should start waving kerchiefs again. Not like the twirling of the towels, like the terrible towels, like the Steelers fans do, but like... 
know, I want to see people waving kerchiefs, not just the ladies. I want to see everybody waving kerchiefs. I, I don't have the stamina for that. I'm, yeah, I'm too I delicate mean, of a flower. I'm well, a podcaster. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I might, I might strain something waving my handkerchief. Obviously, what Spalding wrote in 1912 is just absolute full of it. But also, when has baseball been strenuous compared to basketball? Yeah, that was a really, that quote itself was just hysterical because to this day, people still say baseball is, I mean, you can eat while you're playing. Like People have giant wads of sunflower seeds in their mouth while they're playing the sport. You do that in football, you get hit with something in your mouth, you're going to choke on it. You do that playing basketball, you know, forget it. So I love baseball, but let's, it's a, it's a tough sport to play. But as far as as physically strenuous where you need to have stamina, like a basketball or a hockey, sorry there, not goodwill at all. Yeah, uh, go Rawlings, I guess. Yeah, go Rawlings. I will say the probably the modern day ownership and management of the Spalding Company is way too smart to say something incredibly stupid like that because they know that women buy probably 50% of their products. And very true. For and strenuous play, no less. For, exactly. <clears throat> I guess he, you know, I'm sure he could never have foreseen our uh, our, our women's uh, national soccer team because, you know, though the, they're such delicate flowers, they can't handle any type of, uh, you know, strenuous activity as in case you've ever watched them. I don't know. Have you ever watched them? We won't get into soccer, but... Are you talking I, about I, those those young rowdies that take their shirts off on the field <laughs> while kicking a Spalding soccer ball on the field? Oh, never. Never, never. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. So we're riled up. We're mad. Mm. But we're also excited because we're talking about women in baseball, which is a topic that not too long ago, there wasn't really a lot to talk about. And things have really changed in the, the last few years. But I, I went back to the archives and I, I looked a little bit at our, our 2012 episode on women in baseball. You remember that one? I do. I do. As I wore yesterday. Yes. You and I were just coming out of preschool mm-hmm. and uh, we, we both got participation trophies uh, for best milk drinkers. And uh, what else? Uh, kickball, other strenuous sports for young boys and girls. Yeah, not no dodgeball though. Ladies can't play that because oh, that's very, very unladylike. Very yeah. unladylike, getting throwing, hurling a ball at somebody's head. In this, it's a theoretical 2012 episode, but you know, maybe we'll go record it just to mess with okay. people. There wasn't a lot to talk about for women in baseball. There were a few broadcasters, and I, I was looking things up. I found breakthrough moments like Hannah Storm was a solo host of a baseball pregame show in the late 90s. And that was a broadcasting breakthrough for women in baseball. It's like, it's cool, but that's not, I mean, that's broadcasting also. That just happens to be baseball adjacent. Mm -hmm. Very few women in front offices of baseball teams. A couple of women had been minor league umpires. I think maybe by 2012, only one woman had been a minor league coach as a temp. For like a couple of weeks, but that left us with owners. There were a handful <laughs> of owners. Uh oh, I know where we might be going with this. Well, there were there were a handful <laughs> of, of women owners, and I just I'm going to put this out early in this episode because you know what? If a woman can own a baseball team, a woman can do any other job in baseball too. Because you have to be kind of at a certain skill level to be able to own a team or be rich or both. But, well, true. To successfully own a team, we should, yes. we should put that caveat. 
Yeah, I suppose. Well, and of course, there's there's plenty of men who have bumbled their way into, into Ooh, a, a baseball plenty. team. So, yeah, I mean, there were people like Joan Crock from the San Diego Padres, Marge Schott, who I do not wish to speak about at length because why, that's, why not? That I might mean... be a might be a whole nother episode. Whole other episode. And I'd much even then I'd rather talk about her dog Shotzi than I'd want to talk about uh, old Marge. I learned that the first woman owner in baseball was Helene Hathaway Britton, who was the owner of the Cardinals. Really? You mean yeah. the team with the best fans in all of baseball? Of course it was the Cardinals. Of course. And I think the best fans in baseball took took really well to a, a woman owner of the team. She, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that went over very, very well. I'm sure nobody had anything to say about that. And I'm now starting to think that maybe old A.G. Spaulding's quote from 1912 might have had something directly to do with the presence of Helene Hathaway Britain's presence at uh, as a National League team owner. She inherited the Cardinals after her father died and then her uncle died, and they were the two principal owners of the team. Now, when her uncle passed away in 1911, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is now on my enemies list, they're, they're on, going on the bulletin board too. Uh-oh. They reported uh, at the death of, of her uncle, Stanley, that while all of Stanley Robeson's legal heirs are women, it was made clear soon after the announcement of his death that the Cardinals will not be owned or controlled by women. <laughs> I, I can't. Yes, of course not. Why, why would we do that? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, we, the, you know, we gave them the right to vote. We shouldn't have them own anything. This sounds like this is the uh, the, the, the same people whose who's great grandchildren are now writing for the New York Times op-ed section. It's like, I will wear shoes into your your shoeless household because I do what I want. Exactly. No one will tell me what to do. So Helene did own and control the Cardinals, despite what the biggest newspaper in town said. Before she officially inherited the team, the executor of her father's will, who was named executor in that will, went to court to contest the will (laughs) to revert back to a previous will that I believe a male heir would have gotten the team. Now, okay. this, the yeah, executor... So, yeah, so it's yeah. like well, it's like a kingmaker situation here. Well, we can't, we need a male heir. We can't possibly have a woman run it. Oh my God, what would happen? It says here that he wanted to change it on his deathbed and he'd just finished appointing me as the new owner of the team oh, after I spent to- one night in a haunted house. <laughs> you know what? I feel like more people should get things for spending a night in a haunted house. I know someone who we could probably do that to, that we can, <laughs> who would probably, <laughs> we, have a, we have a friend who I'm pretty sure we could get to spend a night in a haunted house in order probably for much less than a baseball team. Yeah, I, I'm now thinking maybe we need to do a, a live episode from a haunted house. <laughs> we might. Anyway, I, I, I'm sorry I interrupted, go, go forth. <laughs> As excited as I am about women in baseball, I'm also excited about haunted houses. Me too. And if there's some way we can get the two of them together, that would be fantastic. So, yeah, so the executor of her father's will, who happened to be the treasurer of the Cardinals, fought very hard to keep her from taking over. But she finally did uh, assume control of the team. She attended National League owner meetings where the other owners spent most of their time trying to persuade her to sell the team because she was a woman. 
Yes, of course, because you know it's you can't you can't keep this thing that's yours. You're a woman. What whatever will you do with it? There are no purses and handkerchiefs involved. Right, right, and that strenuous kerchief waving. That's right. So, of course, these were peers and these were people kind of in the legal machinery of the, but at least the the people on her team were on her side. Surely her original manager moved the Cardinal Spring training site without telling her. Wow. I'm sorry. Did you think your house was over here? We, 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 it's no longer there. We've moved it to a whole other state. Good luck. What do you, what do you mean, Mrs. Britton? The, the boys are out there taking batting practice right now. Can't you see them? Oh, you must not be able to read a map because you're a woman. So when she fired the manager, that manager, uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch wrote an article glorifying his many accomplishments and dismissed her as the niece of the former owner, not even as the daughter of the other former owner or, you know, the actual owner of the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm -hmm. So things were were going really well for her. I will say she made some good choices as owner. She promoted Miller Huggins, who we remember from being dangled off the back of a train by Babe Ruth in the movie The Babe. That's right. That was There's your callback for this episode. Oh, yeah. You've, there's got to be a, ba- a Babe reference in at least every one of our episodes because it's such an epic, classic movie. That's right. Because we, we are nothing if not pigs in the city. We love The Babe. Sorry, oh, yeah. the other Babe. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So Miller Huggins would elevated to player manager after the debacle of the previous guy moving spring training sites. And she also signed off on the acquisition of Rogers Hornsby, a future Hall of Famer and the possessor of the third highest batting average of all time in Major League history. During her short tenure of six years, she got the Cardinals out of the the bottom and, and got them to a competitive state. But I think at some point she also divorced her husband, who she had appointed team president. And it sounds mm-hmm. like it was just kind of an awful time to be a baseball owner in general, especially if you're the only woman owner. Well, right, so, because of course her husband must have been the one who was making all the decisions for her, right? I mean, she couldn't have possibly made any of these difficult baseball decisions herself. Apparently the stadium, which was named after her family, the it was called Robeson Park. And Not her Robitussin husband- Park? Yes, Robitussin Park. As her husband, as team president, was in charge- or improvements to the field and to the stadium, and he didn't get around to it. Mm. And so by the 1917 season, apparently Robeson Park was kind of trashed. It looks like the, you know, the real heroes in this, the Helene Hathaway Britain story are all the men mm-hmm. that basically tried to undercut her and screw her over and uh, just be absolute jerks. But the best mm-hmm. fans in baseball. Yeah, best fans in baseball. Grab, grab, grab your ball and go home. That surprised me that that was 1911. And then if we tick forward 100 years, not much changed in terms of more women being involved in baseball Mm -hmm. operations. But that's changing. I mean, it's changing because, first of all, more women are involved in sports in, in many levels, whether they're playing competitively or they're involved in training, coaching, what have you. But I'm not going to get into it, but Title IX really does make a big difference. So when women when women's sports are funded, yes, women can be athletes at a very, very, very high level. So playing field, so to speak, is becoming a little bit more diverse. But 
still a long way to go, but we are making little teeny tiny inroads here and there. Yeah, absolutely. And what about baseball operations is a woman incapable of I mean, it's, doing? It's just running. It's like running any other business, you know? I mean, you know, if you know the business, you learn the business. You have you are in different roles throughout your career. And then eventually you, you know, you either become GM or you may own a team. It's like any, any other, <laughs> you know, there's nothing special about baseball as far as from an operational standpoint. There is nothing, there is nothing magical or unknowing that you cannot learn, no matter what your whether you're male, female, black, white, doesn't make a difference. We all know that it's professional sports, especially baseball, are, you know, real bastions of masculinity, even though I've never seen so much jewelry in my life. But you know, you you do you guys. <laughs> Ouch on the stereotyping. Well, I mean, you know, I, w- that's another thing. I've never seen so much jewelry out on a, in a on a team sport than in baseball. Again, what about drag races? <laughs> We're not talking about RuPaul, okay? I'm gonna work on that for a future right. episode somehow. All right. We'll find out that he was secretly a Braves fan when he grew up in Georgia. I mean, so. he might have been. It's possible. Let's just say he was. Okay. Come on the show, Rue. We'll talk about it. We'll t- we'll talk baseball with you. But yeah, I know there's no yeah there's no reason why women cannot be and and honestly, I think and I'm I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but it's just in general in any company if you don't have diverse voices, then you end up doing the same thing over and over again. And we could say that baseball right now is not really doing that well. I mean, we've got the lockout. People they're losing audiences. Young people are not watching the sport. They're not creating enough excitement out there on the field. And the look has not been good of late, especially with the lockout, especially with some of the things that they've done with the minor leagues and how they're treating the minor league players. But that's a discussion for another time because we could really get into that. So, you know, baseball could use some new blood and new voices instead of the same old boys club that's out there. We've actually seen this quantified in, in terms of race recently mm-hmm. because there's been talk about how there aren't as many black baseball players as there were even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But there's also no real opportunities for for development in those communities. Mm-hmm. And if there are no black baseball players, why would there be a sizable number of black fans, someone that feels that they're being represented on the field or in the press box even to draw people in. And this is where representation matters. And I think we, so we're hearing about it with race, but we're seeing that with gender, that it, it, it is, it's only now really starting to be measured. I actually found something from a, a, something called the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport. And they put a report card out every year Mm-hmm. And they are saying that racial hiring practices are improving, but they're still at a B plus. But uh, gender equity in baseball is at a C, and it's only recently come up from a C minus because of somebody that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the episode. Exactly. Exactly. Do we want to get into some of the new voices that are are? we're excited or or have been excited to see. Let's talk about some actual women in actual baseball. Exactly, as opposed to theoretical and us being on a soapbox. For 
you know, we'll we'll be back on it. Don't worry. We will be back on it. And you know, I didn't. I would. I actually want a soapbox. Like, did people act? Did people actually have? Was it a box that had held soap? And why soap? Why couldn't it just be just a box? Well, only women were on a soapbox back in the day because that was their job. They were meant to clean. They were meant to clean things. Therefore, they would go on a soapbox. Because you know those nasty old men weren't going to clean anything. That's true. That is true. I'll take that soapbox, though. (laughs) Give me that. Get off that box if you do not own that. So... Something exciting happened just uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, a big breakthrough. A big breakthrough. Rachel Balkovich is the first woman to manage a team in affiliated baseball. The New York Yankees named her to be the manager of their low A Tampa Tarpons, which is a name. I really hate that name. And when you see it spelled out, I mean, we all know what it looks like. Tarpons, Tampa Tarpons. Um, I think there's are they some type of bird the tarpons or some I think they're an actual there is a they are some type of indigenous creature from Tampa and I think they're birds. Oh, I thought you were trying to say terrapins, but in a Boston accent. No, they're tarpon tarpons tarpons tarpons. Yeah, not like tarpons tur- though. Like the turtle. <laughs> tarpons. Uh, I you know what? What is a tarpon? I'll look at this it. This is very important as we talk about women in baseball. What? in the ever living is a tarpon that's right well, based on their logo it's a tarpon appears to be a kind of fish oh it's kind a fish a, okay kind of a carp looking fish okay so it's a fish sorry i thought it was a bird fish whatever anyway well bulkovic has been in a variety of baseball positions uh, she has a 10-year career she basically got in baseball 10 years ago she previously was the first woman to be named as a hitting coach by the Yankees. She was appointed their assistant hitting coach. She spent last season coaching in the Florida Complex League, but her work actually got her a spot on the Futures game, helping out there. And as you know, the Futures game is a big staple for the All-Star game. It's actually, one one might argue that it's becoming more interesting than the All-Star game because it's a way to see some of the, the young talent that's out there. Um, she also served as strength and conditioning coach for the aforementioned St. Louis Cardinals. Best and fans of baseball. Best fans of baseball. And our other favorite team here, the Houston Astros. Uh, no, com- no. Com- <laughs> Just dead silence there. Com- comment redacted. <laughs> okay. I was waiting, but it was like, okay, dead air. Perfect. Perfect reaction to that name. She also coached in the Australian Baseball League, and she was with, um, she did work with the Dutch national team. There's a great story, and I would encourage anyone who gets The Athletic to read it by Lindsay Adler, where she interviews Rachel Polkovic. She had a lot of interesting things to say. I mean, she she understands that she's going to be in the spotlight. She understands that there's going to be, she might get some flack because of her gender. She said, if you know my story, this is a direct quote if you, from the, that athletic story. If you know my story and you have a pulse, it's pretty hard not to get behind what's going on here. The negativity, it's hilarious to me because this is the American dream. That's awesome. One of the things she said, and, and this, is, this is interesting. So Brian Cashman, who, as everybody knows, is a long-serving GM of the New York Yankees. Some of his statements were, were great. He was like, look, I can't wait for the day when this is not news when we were talking about these things on the regular and we're not having a big press conference about it. Cashman, as you know, and you will talk about one of his other other appointees, he's uh, appointed a few other women in, in 
in high positions within the Yankees organization. Apparently, uh, Balkovich was approached by Kevin Reese, who's the VP of player development for the Yankees. And he said to her, you know, you don't have to be a defensive specialist to be a manager anymore. Let's open our minds to what a manager really is, a leader. That really spoke to her. And she said, you know, it is actually manager is a better role for me than being a hitting coach. She's like, I don't lose sleep over mechanics. I lose sleep over culture. She's very much into player development. It's a big priority for her. And also she said, I love orchestrating a group of human beings and putting them together to do really difficult tasks. She thought that she would need to be a scout in order to be a GM one day, but she feels like coaching and coaching at this, at starting at this level can help her eventually be a GM, which is her, her goal in life is to get there. We all know that there's someone she can look up to as a mentor who was recently appointed as a GM, which you're going to talk about shortly. But yeah, she had a lot of interesting things to say. She seems like she's she knows what she's, she's getting into. She knows the sport very well. She's played softball, of course, because God forbid women should be able to play baseball. We won't even get it. We don't understand why we have to have a ball that's so big that you can't hit it beyond... <laughs> beyond the first baseline, but she, so she is, you know, she's an athlete. She knows about strength and conditioning, which I think is a really important thing these days. And she's working with the guys to, to create a nice culture at that, at that level. So I look forward to her being successful in the role. I look forward to the Tarpons. I'm sorry. I was like waiting for me to trip over that name. <laughs> I look forward to the Tarpon season and, you know, I probably will not go to Tampa Bay to watch them, but I will be cheering her on. I also look forward to her making mistakes and I look forward to her succeeding in the face of adversity because that's what good managers do, right? You Exactly. The best managers of all time have screwed up at some point. Almost every great manager has gotten fired mm-hmm. at some point. There's like there are very few lifers. Oh yeah. I mean there is a I mean Joe Torre was eventually, I mean, the man won four World Series and he was basically like, okay, your time is up. We're pushing you out the door. And many managers, like they're just, you know, you get told your time is up or they just want the next new thing. So it's it's just part of, part of baseball life. And I think we're starting to see baseball move away from big deal players becoming managers. I think now what the classic model is, if you were a catcher, you're probably going to be a manager, right? Right. And And a catcher, besides having the ability to squat down for three hours every, every day, which I, you know, if I've actually read a few profiles of, of catchers in the off season and Oh, they talk about how their legs are just a a giant mess. (laughs) It takes them all off season to be able to walk and get up like a normal human being. Yeah, absolutely. But the best catchers are also great strategists, right? right? They're actually observing the game in real time. They're making adjustments based on that. But you know what? Somebody that has the understanding of what it takes to be an athlete, I think also has that ability. Somebody that is able to to crunch the numbers and, and looking kind of at the like the sabermetrics and the analytic era. If you can do that, you can succeed. I think, as Rachel was saying, that it it is a lot of it is culture. There's not one person that can run a whole team, right? There are only people that can run the team that runs the team. Right. So a good manager also has a hitting coach, a first base coach, a third base coach, a bullpen coach a strength and conditioning trainer. So yeah, 
if you have a good culture, if you have a good attitude, you have a good strategy, you're going to be a success. And I don't think I've said anything there that's unique to a male or a female. No, not at all. I mean, in fact, in this article in the the Athletic in general, there was, and I forget who who made the statement, that we need to start getting it back into the culture where we can bring up minor league managers and bring them into major league roles that we can't just always have this, this mindset that, Oh no, we can't, if, the, if you've never played in the major leagues, you can't possibly manage a team. And you know, there, that, that, so that's another bias. I think that, that they're trying to address. And as we know, and as we've seen with metrics and data and what goes on with the front office managers these days are basically, they are managing their players so they're looking they are very much looking for people who can inspire their players know their players understand when things are going well understand when things aren't going well there's a lot more that managers do that we don't know about beyond just like <laughs> the poor bullpen management that we like to uh let we like to <laughs> blame our managers for we all know that everything's coming everything's coming from from uh the front office right like this guy can only throw so many pitches. He gets to up. Oh, there's a lefty, but like they're they're all about the analytics these days. So it's not really so much about about like ah, oh, you know what you got something left there, you know. I was checking your gut, uh, which is you know a little bit of I do miss a little bit of that look in your eyes and okay, I think you can do this. No, it's like you you're at you're at ninety pitches. Nope, got to pull you. So managers roles have changed quite a bit they're evolving as the game evolves and there's no reason male female it doesn't make a difference go tarpons go tarpons you've dropped a lot of hints I about have. who i want to talk about i know because you've said the name brian cashman you said the name joe tory i did you said the words front office i'm talking about somebody when we came up with the topic for women in baseball, I was like, I I have to talk about her because she has inspired me. And I, I guess I should say who I'm talking about because that's what people do. We don't, we don't, this American life, this, uh, and, and, and say the name at the very end. No, and also you've practiced the name, so. That's right. <laughs> that's the main thing. I am delighted to be talking about Kim Ang, who is the general manager of the Miami Marlins as of November 13th, 2020. She's the first woman to ever have the position of general manager for any major league baseball team. And I think possibly for any major professional sport. She's also the first East Asian general manager in major league baseball as well. So a number of breakthroughs. Kim Ang started with the White Sox as an intern in 1991. I am going to try so hard, Jackie, to keep pulling back to the olden times. And sadly, I actually, the more I pull back to the olden times and with the Kim Ang story, the more pissed off I get. Well, I mean, 91 is really not. That's not, you, you like to go way back. We're not talking to 1891. That's more your speed. We were all listening to Nirvana and Mud Honey back then. And those were just the newest, Honey. hottest bands. <laughs> Mud Honey, never heard of them. <laughs> yeah, me either. Anyway, Kim Eng, she was quickly promoted from intern to the assistant director of baseball operations by the White Sox. Kim was hired as an intern by Dan Evans, who was the White Sox assistant general manager. I found a lot of this in a, a number of Washington Post articles, which were really great, thorough, 
because we're still in the reportage era for Kim Ang. There's there's not, unfortunately, a lot of her career to analyze in terms of her success as GM, but there's a lot of good facts out there. Dan Evans, the assistant GM of the White Sox, hired her for an internship that should have been four or five months of learning the art of salary arbitration and working on off-season projects. When spring training arrived, the gig should have been over. By then, however, it, Evans had already promoted Ang to a full-time position. I just always thought she was going to be that glass ceiling breaker, said Dan Evans. And the glass ceiling held, unfortunately. She continued with the White Sox for six years, spent a year working for the American League, and then she went to the Yankees in 1998. And she became the assistant general manager of the Yankees. Yep. Now, you know me. I love clicking on the other thing when I'm researching. You do. I thought she might have been the first female assistant general manager in baseball. She was not. The Red Sox have that honor. Elaine Weddington Stewart, in 1990, she became the assistant general manager of the Red Sox. Read a great quote from her. We're talking about the challenges and the, uh, of dealing with the glass ceiling, especially in the super macho world of professional sports. And she said, I was obviously aware of it, but I think the way my parents brought me up was that whatever I was interested in, work hard towards it, and I always felt like I should go for what I was interested in. If someone else had a problem with it, that's their problem. I just put my best foot forward and do the best that I can, work hard, and hopefully things work out. Which I thought was a very realistic, very real statement. So Elaine Weddington-Stewart still works for the Red Sox. She is not the general manager of the Red Sox, so we'll just spoil that story. No, really? I, I think she has. she's a very well-regarded person in baseball and definitely in the Red Sox organization, but I think she's maxed out in, in where she could go. Now we're in 1998. Kim Ang worked for the Yankees for three years, and then she became the assistant GM for the Dodgers. In 2005, she interviewed for the Dodgers GM job. And guess what? She didn't get it. Shocking. Between 2005 to 2020, she interviewed then with the Mariners for the GM job. Guess what? <laughs> She didn't get it. She didn't get it. <laughs> Although, honestly, I don't know why not. <laughs> she traveled down the West Coast to the Mariners' arch rivals, the San Diego Padres. <laughs> she interviewed for that GM job. And guess what? Didn't get it. She went to Los Angeles Angels. Guess what? No go. Didn't get it. Wow. So she just did the West Coast tour. Yeah. Holy. San Francisco Giants also didn't get it. That's the seventh team that she tried mm -hmm. out for a job with and didn't get it between that's basically between 1998 when she became assistant GM for the Yankees to 2020. How long does it take Jackie and just a little quiz for you. How long does it take to go from being an assistant GM to a general manager in general? What do you think like the, you mean the if learning you're, curve is? You mean if you're a man? If you're a man or if well, you're... I, I would say no less than five years. I would say probably with two to five years. Two to five years. Okay. I did a quick survey. I looked at the current general manager and saw when mm -hmm. he was appointed assistant general manager, either by that team or the team he worked for previously. The Diamondbacks, three years. Blue Jays, four years. Orioles, two years. The Reds, three years. The Mariners, zero. But Jerry Depoto, when he was with the Angels, was appointed interim general manager, went straight from being a baseball operations guy to being an interim general manager, and then never served as an assistant. All of these folks had a baseball background that was longer than 
the two to five year span. So when Kim Ang was appointed assistant general manager of the Yankees, that was 22 years ago. She worked hard, did everything she needed to do. She officially interviewed with five different teams and didn't get the job. The sixth team she interviewed with, the Miami Marlins, did give her the job in 2020. So you want to talk about perseverance. Perseverance. And I'm going to I'm going to have a shout out here to Derek Jeter, um, who is in the owners, one of the owners of the Miami Marlins. And if you've noticed, if you're a Yankee fan, you've noticed who he surrounded himself with. And it's it's uh, it's a lot of these people worked for the Yankee organization at one time or another. So I give Jeter credit for not only hiring people that he knows he's worked with, he's developed a rapport with, he trusts, but that he would also extend that and not be blindsided by someone because of their gender. And so, you know, I I think props to him for, quote unquote, making that brave, bold hire. But quite honestly, she's more than qualified for the job. I mean, you and I have watched a lot of baseball and I lived in New York for many, many years and I've seen the GMs that the Mets have had and I've seen the circus that goes on there. And those guys keep getting hired. They keep failing and it's the same pool, right? You keep yeah. you keep choosing, it's the thing I keep saying, you keep choosing from the same pool of people, same group of white guys, white dudes, and you're expecting different results. Yeah. You're not going to get them. You need to you need to start expanding your reach. I give Jeter credit and the Marlins organization for bringing her in. And they've got some exciting young players, including my boy, Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. My boy, Sixto Sanchez. I just go. like saying Sixto Sanchez. Who doesn't? Well, let's go back to the Yankees, if that's okay with you. Well, we know it's always about the Yankees <laughs> with me. Someone, someone once said that. was I think it might have been me. Uh, everyone. <laughs> has said that because I also want to talk about Jean Afterman who replaced Kim Ang as assistant GM for the Yankees. And she is still involved with the Yankees organization. She has taken herself out of consideration really to be a general manager at this point in time. Okay. She feels like she's been there, done that. She's happy with the role she has with the Yankees. Apparently she opted out of interviewing for the Mets GM position, which smart woman, smart woman, (laughs) much respect. She had some very kind of steely eyed, real world thoughts that I wanted to share. Uh, This is taken from an interview in The Athletic as well. The placement of women in high visibility, prestigious executive jobs in baseball is important to Afterman, but she loves the job she has now. She can interview for jobs anyway, and clubs have reached out for permission to interview her. But she doesn't have an interest in wasting someone else's time or hers discussing a job she doesn't want. Clubs are required to interview diverse and gender diverse candidates, she explains. And there's no fucking way that I'm going to be somebody's box to check. Mm -hmm. It would be a waste of the club's time. And I object to token interviews. That's not respecting what this process is all about. Good for her. And we know that happens. We've seen it. Ha- we've seen it happen when they they interview um, people of color for GM or management roles. I mean, we've 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 seen some, I'm sure, some really talented people just checking the box. Absolutely. So that they can say that they did it. And I think the NFL is kind of going through that reckoning right now. Oops, should are. I just talk about football? <laughs> there was one other great quote from Gina Afterman because there is one other prominent woman in front offices right now. Uh, Raquel Ferreira is the vice president of major and minor league operations for the Red Sox. 
Mm-hmm. Once that appointment was official, Gene Afterman emailed Ferrera and said plainly, welcome to the brotherhood. Nice. I'm all about Gene Afterman right now, but I'm really even more excited for Kim Ang. She has one season under her belt as mm-hmm. GM for the Marlins. It was unremarkable. But you know what? No GM transforms a team in one season, especially if that season was the season after COVID year where we only got 60 games in. Yeah. She seems to have a really strong grasp on what the future of the team looks like and not just what the present looks like. And I know that can be frustrating for some fans because there's always the, oh, you you traded my favorite player. She traded Starling Marte, who was probably the only marquee name on the Marlins last year, Mm -hmm. but he was the only player that had immediate return value without costing the future of the club. Fans didn't like it. I think it's a great move. You take a guy with a high salary and you get some some younger players with more control. They ended up getting Jesus Lazardo from the A's, who I think is going to be a pitcher to watch in the future. I've been saying that as a fantasy baseball owner for three years now, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so I really, I really like what she's doing. She has everything to lose and nothing to lose. The Marlins are historically a terrible team. They're probably the worst team that's ever won two World Series. Well, no, well, I, I'm going to stop you there. The the, okay. Marlin, the Marlins actually, I, and I kind of feel, because there have been people who were starting to be Marlins fans, but what did they do? With, after they won each of those World Series, those entire teams were dismantled and all of those players were shipped off to other places. Yep. So that was an ownership thing. So maybe with new with new ownership, maybe with an ownership that really does eventually want to win and create a fan base, maybe things will be different. But I know it's like, hey, if I was a Marlin fan and I've I've been I've had to deal with this bait and shit and shit, good. This bait and, <laughs> and it is bait and shit. It is yeah. shit. This, you know, bait and switch. I too would be like, I'd be skeptical, you know, like, why, what are you doing? Like, I know that prior to Ang coming on, when they traded John Carlos Stanton and a number of other players on that team, people were like, well, who the heck are we going to watch? Why would we go yeah. to the ballpark? But you're right. It's a, it's, it's a long game for the Marlins right now. Yeah. So. And I think what, where I was going and saying that they're historically one of the worst teams to ever win two world series is that they became terrible by choice. The yes. ownership elected to make them bad yep. to say, well, we got our rings, we got our trophies, we got our extra T-shirt sales, we got our ad revenue up for next season, and I don't want to pay any of these guys anymore. If you're a fan and you're being manipulated like that, I would check out. I would say, you know, I, I honestly don't care. I do believe that Derek Jeter and his ownership group have a long-term view, and I, I think that's probably reflected in the hiring of Kim A. They have traditionally been a poor team over the last 10 years. They are also a poor team in terms of ticket sales. I think they actually now rank 30th out of 30 in attendance. Tampa has finally moved up. Wow. You go Tampa, which is, which is quite honestly, as much as I'm not, I don't like the Tampa Rays. It is quite sad because they are a good team and they have... They have been a competitive team yeah. that makes the playoffs in consecutive years. So it is it is sad that they play to an empty stadium. If Kim Ang totally screws up, it'll be hard to tell based on the last 10 years of the Marlin. But I also know every interview that I've read with her, I've sat in on a, a webinar that she was part of. Everything that I know about her, it will be harder on her 
for the Marlins to be, if they don't succeed, then it would, would be for fans. I think she's a driven person. I think she's very committed. I think Derek Jeter also wants to win. I think the, Jeter likes to win. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've heard that. One of the one of the articles that I was reading said it's this season, this upcoming season, if and when it will be the fifth season of Jeter's ownership group, and that's kind of where you're expected to perform. Yep. Kim Ang, when she got the job, she said, "When Derek told me I got the job." There was a 10,000 pound weight lifted off of this shoulder in, in terms of like that she'd been going at it for almost two decades of trying to, well, more than two decades of trying to go from assistant GM to GM. After about a half an hour later, I realized it had just been transferred to this shoulder. I do feel quite a bit of responsibility for this team. I have felt that way my whole career. She is dedicated to her job. I always like to have surprises for my story. I want to like I want to like do Paul okay. Harvey this stuff, sure. but I can't because the Kim Ang story is really just about rejection and dismissiveness and persistence. Mm-hmm. And there's no twist ending. She hung in there. She kept working. She kept believing in herself and her abilities, and she finally got the job. And so you and I are now in like this weird position where we're rooting for a minor league team from Tampa and a major league team from Miami, generally two two teams that we could care less about. Very true. But this is, this is an exciting era. It is. It is. And I mean, I definitely, I peeked into the Marlins after Jeter off, you know, was part of that ownership group. I definitely have interest now because of Kim Eng and they do have some exciting talent. So they're, they're fun to watch. I mean, and ultimately, and I tell people this, you know, I am, Yes, I am a huge Yankees fan, but I'm an even bigger baseball fan, and I enjoy baseball and and in all its forms. This is which is why we're doing this, right? <laughs> My mom would be proud of me, but I always like to see the best people succeed, and that makes it seem like I'm very fickle because then I'll switch allegiances. But I really want—I was going to say the good guys, but I really do want the the, the good people uh, because now that has expanded to men and women in baseball. Finally. Indeed. And I want somebody that's committed, that's smart, that's savvy, that works hard and perseveres to reap the rewards from doing that. Well put. So you have a shout out to someone else now, don't you? Yes. It's actually, I guess this is good that we don't have time to talk about Alyssa Nakin. Uh, okay. The, the first in dugout coach at a major league level. She is a coach for the San Francisco Giants. That's a breakthrough, but we don't have time to say anything other than go Alyssa Nakin. But well, maybe we'll talk about her in a later time. What's nice about this is now we have many women in baseball that we can discuss in, in more episodes. And actually in doing this, you and I have stumbled across a lot of women from the past who may not have gotten their due. Uh playing baseball because, you know, women in baseball wasn't a thing. It was girls in baseball, though. That's right. Lady ball. Lady ball. That sounds, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) I'll, I'll leave that alone. Lady ball. Jackie, what's the future look like? We've had a lot of progress in the last few years for women in baseball, but what's next? What are we going to see next? What are we going to see next or what would I like to see next? Those are two different questions. Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. What I think we'll see next is I think we will see more female GMs. I feel like those office roles 
they're going to become more palatable for those the old boys to to have women in those roles. And also, quite honestly, you know, we're dealing if you're dealing with a younger generation that doesn't that really most people don't give a shit about about this stuff. So um, so I think it'll just be, you know, best person for the job doesn't matter. So I think we will see more women as GMs in in the front office. Definitely. I know there's a lot of strength and conditioning coaches. No more old fat guys, thankfully. I always enjoyed when the old fat guy was the strength in the day when that's the strength and conditioning coach. Seriously? (laughs) You hired that guy? I Um, weigh 300 pounds. I got to get out of this chair by myself every day. (laughs) Exactly. That always cracked me up. The biggest breakthrough, we will know that things are close to being on an even playing field when there is a woman in the dugout, when you have a, a, a female manager. That that will be the biggest breakthrough to come through. But I think we're going to see more of the front office jobs going to women more and more. I don't know when there will be a female manager because quite honestly, we don't even have enough black men and other people of color and <laughs> nationalities managing. But We'll know we have gotten somewhere when that ceiling is broken. That's that's my feeling. But I think we're going to see a lot more women in, in um, front office positions. I would love to see more women coaches. First base coach, third base coach. Seems like that, that's, uh, that could be sooner than later. The problem is, and you alluded to softball earlier, if there's not a direct correlation, if there's not a lot of women's baseball league in college or elsewhere... It's hard to have that apples to apples comparison going through the job interview process or a peer review or things like that. So I I would like to see that expand. I do think that you're going to see more of these Rachel Belkoviches start to emerge and put their dues in and they have to take a bus to every game rather than be at a level where you get to fly. I think Alyssa Knocken gets kids to fly with the team. A low A ball club manager on good days gets to rent a car and drive by him or herself and yeah. <laughs> not sit on the bus. But I think that right, you gotta you gotta get people out there and you gotta you gotta let them do that. So maybe we'll see Rachel as a first base coach in five years if she climbs her way through the minor league system. My thought is that the next big breakthrough is that we will see a female umpire. In the next five years, if the robots don't take over first. See, I want the robots to take over. I know that a lot of people are like, oh, the human element. I just, we won't go there. But there were just so many bad calls uh, the past few seasons. And I felt like it was getting worse. And I don't know if these guys, the pressure is getting to them. Some of them really should just retire because the men, the old school mentality is just, come on, guys. Uh, the thing that's always bothered me about umpires is that they they don't really answer to anybody. So it's like the only job where you can continually fail and not lose your job. So, I mean, <laughs> I understand why players get frustrated with these guys. Maybe, I, you know, I'd like to see a female umpire, but quite honestly, bring on, bring on the robots. <laughs> All right. Well, with your unexpected cybernetic affinity, I guess maybe I would like to then, for women in baseball, I'd like to see Sarah Connor come and stop Skynet from forming with the robot umpires. All right. I'm down for that. (laughs) So more front office jobs, umpire probably. I'd love to see more coaches. At some point, who knows? A player. There was a a woman in Japan that started to go through the Nippon Professional League, did not quite make it. But Mm -hmm. you know what? If she had a chance to get in, that chance is still technically available. And it, it's going to come when you least expect it. There's going to be that 
LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Shohei Otane, sort of insane prodigy that will come up and it's like, yeah, you need her to pitch for you because she's that good. Right. I don't know when that's going to happen. But what will we do in the locker room, Mark? Oh, my God. I know. We can't afford a whole separate shower. Not with all the money we're making with the overpriced Coors Lights. How could we possibly afford a shower for her? Especially if our franchise player is going to have to give up his 500-square-foot locker. (laughs) I'm optimistic for the future because anytime we have a breakthrough, that makes it just a little bit easier for the next breakthrough. Still hard work, but I think it can happen. Hey, we were only on the soapbox for half the episode. All right. You probably cut a little of my ramblings. No, I like the I like the soapbox. It's because remember, do I need to go back? Do you want me to reread the Spalding quote? I don't really, it's disgusting. I don't want to read it again. No. But I'm still mad. We, you know, it's time for a change. The world needs to be better in so many different ways. And I think women actively involved in the sport of baseball might exactly be this the spark that we need to make the game a little more relevant. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I don't think it can hurt, but we relevance is, is very important right now for baseball because it's losing it. Losing it by the hour right now. Indeed. You want to do the outro? I'll do the outro right. on that <laughs> upbeat note. On that upbeat note, that's right. Baseball is dead. Hey, <laughs> you want to listen to our baseball podcast as we talk about how dead baseball is? Okay. Seemed like a good idea at the time. File that away. Baseball is dead is not the worst topic. Um, I'm actually kind of in a fairly black mood about the prospects of this season right now. Maybe we can have the all angry episode. I'm down. But first, let's do an outro. The fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field. And we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie Makuchi. And this was Bad Hop. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. Until next time. Bye. Bye.